time to humble ourselves is as the word is being read and God speaking to us. Do not think about, hey, I wish so-and-so was in here to hear this. Let's say, let me say it. All right, let's grab our Bibles and turn over Genesis 17. Genesis 17. Today is a special day because we finally get to call Abram Abraham. All right. Kind of a funny Bible joke, but hey, we've been calling him Abram all this time, and it feels so weird because most of the time we always call him Abraham. So today is the day. So remember last week, um, Abraham had a pretty serious lapse of, of faith, and, uh, and yet God was faithful, and God showed his relentless grace. Today we continue to see God's serious love for a serious messed up people, okay? And that's what we're going to see here in Genesis 17. So if you will, uh, stand together for the reading of God's holy word to us this morning. Starting there in verse 1, we'll read down to uh, the end of 14. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you the father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. And kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now, an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and to your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abram, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money, your, with money from a foreigner. Those who are not your offspring, whether born in your house or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. The word of the Lord. You guys can take a seat. All right, so as we dive into Genesis chapter 17, I want to ask a few questions. My first question is this. I want you to think about where you were, or maybe what you were doing 24 years ago. 24 years ago. Alright? 24 years ago was the year 1995. And I was 9 years old. 
I was nine years old in 1995. I think Santo and I were talking about this. He was just finishing up seminary. About a year to go. Oh, a year to go in seminary, and I was nine years old, okay? Um, I, I actually did some research here. It was really interesting. I looked up TVs and phones, cell phones, and computers in 1995. I don't know if anybody remembers the original StarTac phone, uh, the Motorola, the, it's like the first flip phone. You guys, no, I don't. No. Somebody remember the first flip phone, right? I, I think it was the year that Clueless came out, that, that movie, and, uh, and they, had, they had the flip phone there. Yes, and the computers were obviously massive, and uh, they had such little memory, we're talking about megabytes, right? Um, and you, you had the hard uh, disk, no, the, yeah, the hard floppy disks. Not the big fat ones, but the uh, three by fives, you know those, uh, those little ones? Anyways, that was 25 year ago, years ago. Now I want you to think about 13 years ago. Where were you? 13 years ago. It was 2006, and I was 20 years old and in college in North Carolina. Now, why am I asking where were you 13 years ago and 24 years ago? Well, these numbers are really important for our text here. Think about this. By time Genesis 17 rolled around, it was 24 years since the original promise was given to Abraham. Think about this. He was 75 when God called him out of the land back in Genesis chapter 12. Right? 75. That was 24 years ago, God made a promise, but had not yet fulfilled it. So he'd be looking back to flip phones. That's right, he'd be looking back to flip phones. <laughs> 13 years had also lapsed between last week's chapter, the Hagar incident, and our chapter today. The entry of the text says he was 99 years old. Why do I bring this up? Abraham was a man accustomed to waiting. He didn't always do it well, we learned last week, but he was a man accustomed to waiting. And he was a man that God had put in the waiting room of life, as it were, with nothing but a promise and the presence of God. That's all he had, right? He had God's word, and he had God himself. And yet the promise had not been fulfilled yet that was given so many years ago. But we know for God... A promise made is a promise what? Kept, fulfilled. Yeah, either way, right? A promise made is a promise kept or a promise fulfilled. And for Abram, we'll learn here in chapter 17 that it was about to be payday, right? He was about to start to experience the fulfillment of that promise. And God graciously reminds him of his covenant that he has made with him and the promise that he made. And he gives him here a special sign for that covenant. And he reminds Abraham that it was well worth the wait. It was well worth those 24 years as he waited. This morning, we're going to see that in Christ alone, the blessing of Abraham comes to you and me with a visible sign to receive. So in Christ, the blessing of Abraham comes to you and to me with a sign to receive. Let's look at our first point here, a blessing to the nations. We just said Abram is 99 years old. He's trying to walk by faith. He's trying to trust in the promises of God. But for him, 
by sight, things continue to look bad as we open up here in Genesis chapter 17. The land is still full of people. His nephew Lot did what? He took the best land for himself. What else happened? Well, his most recent attempt to force the promised child failed miserably. And his wife is still barren, right? And so by sight, things look very bad. By sight, it doesn't seem like God is going to keep his promise. He might be asking the question to himself, how would God's promise ever come to fruition? Is God going to make good on his word? Would it ever come true? He was waiting. You know, I think about, for example, the, the older single person that's waiting to be married. Maybe they're in their late 30s or 40s or even 50s, and they're wondering if God will provide for them a godly spouse. It's a longing that they've had for so long. And they're waiting and waiting and waiting. And Abram finds himself this morning, or in, the, in our text here, waiting on the promises of God. And yet now, 13 years later, God reassures him. Abram, I am going to make good on my promise. I've made a promise, and I'm going to keep it. To be sure, it's the same covenant, that promise that God gave years ago, right? This is not a different covenant that we're talking about. The one that starts back in Genesis 12 and goes and talks about it in Genesis 15, here it's the same very covenant with some added layers involved here. God is giving more depth and clarity and emphasis here in the covenant. And we're going to look at some of these new layers that God has given us. And the first thing I want to point out is God's name. Look at the text here again in verses 1 and 2. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am God Almighty. I am God Almighty. See, throughout scriptures, God has lots of different names. These names mean something, right? A lot of times in America, we don't give names necessarily because they mean something. We give names because we like them. But in a lot of other cultures in the world, names have very strong and rich meaning, right? So Peter, for example, my name means rock, right? We see that later on in Scripture. But this special meaning here we see in God Almighty is different. So far, we've only been given a few names of God. You know, we've been given the kind of the generic name for God. We've been given the covenant name for God, which is Yahweh. But now we are given God Almighty, or El Shaddai, as it is in the Hebrew. We see the God of all might and power. The God who is able to do anything and everything that he puts his mind to. Any plan that he makes, he can carry out because he is God Almighty. But why would God give this specific name at this time? Think about this. This is the first time that he reveals this name. Why would he give it now? Well, for several reasons. Abram is still waiting, right? He is still waiting for the promise. Sarah is still waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. He's wondering if God is going to make good on that. Could it be that through this new name, God was reminding Abram that the impossible could happen? 
He's saying, look, I don't care if Sarah, your wife, is barren. It doesn't matter to me. It's nothing to me. I can make this happen, right? All I, could, I could just say a word, and it would be. Why are you worrying, Abram? He is God Almighty. He has all the power to carry out these promises. So much so that he says, look at, this, at the stars in the sky. Your descendants are going to be as many as the stars in the sky or the dust of the earth. I'm God Almighty. I can make this happen. No problem. God's name, El Shaddai, was given to help God's people know something more about who God is. That all of God's power helps them and to helps us even now to walk by faith, even when by sight it looks bad. The same God that was God of El Shaddai for Abram is the same El Shaddai for us, for you and for me. The God of all power. It's no problem that someone can't get pregnant. God can do that. It's no problem that the, the bills are piling up and, you, and can't get paid. God can take care of that. Whatever problem we face, he is El Shaddai, the God of all power. And thank God we know the God Almighty this morning. The second layer here that we want to talk about is that we see Abram is called, Abraham is called the father of a multitude of nations. Now this is where really the Abrahamic covenant gets really directly applicable to you and to me, and we're going to find out why. We already know God promised Abraham a people and a nation, right? We've been talking about that a lot, right? The original promise, a people, right? He's going to make the descendants as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the ground, right? He's going to give a people, the land of Canaan. That's clear from Genesis 12 and 15. But 17 goes further to say that he will be the, the father of many nations, nations in the plural, Right? Not just one nation of people, but nations that will extend all over the earth. And this is signified in the change of his name. Remember how important things are, names are. The meaning. For example, Abram means exalted father. Right? That's what that, that name means. But then now he says, you shall be called Abraham. And now we see it's father of a multitude. So now this father is not just the father of Isaac and those that come along from him, but he will be the father of nations. Verse 5, No longer shall you be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. So we see, even way back then, that the covenant with Abram was about so much more. Oftentimes in Scripture this happens. That there is some immediate things going on, like, yes, he's going to give him a son, but he's going to give him so much more than that. And we, on this side of the Old Testament, we get to see, looking back, at the fullness of God's promise to you and to me, and how this affects us. Verses 5 through 8 go on to say that nations will come from his family, kings will come from his family, probably appointing to uh, the king of even David, and then even King Jesus going on, that this covenant will last forever. And because of the New Testament, we know that it's not just those related by blood to Abraham, but by what? Faith. Right? By faith, we are related to 
father Abraham. It's because of the covenant that God made with Abraham that people like you and me, Gentiles, were included in that covenant family. It's the reason that you and I are saved. You guys remember the song growing up? Oh, if, you, if you guys grew up in church, Father Abraham, you know? That's right, had many sons, right? And who, who, who are one of them, right? And we are one of them, and so are you, so let's just praise the Lord, right? Right hand, right hand left hand. That's, you know, that's where the kids finally get in there, enjoy it. Right, so Father Abraham, the father of a multitude of nations. See, otherwise, we would not have any hope. Right? Otherwise, we would not have any hope of being inside the covenant. We would have no hope of knowing God. We'd have no hope of participating in the promises or the blessing of God. We would be strangers. We would be exiles from God. We wouldn't know true peace. We wouldn't know the forgiveness of sins. All of that would be out of the window for us. It is only because that we can, we can be um, forgiven of our sins, we can be a part of the covenant because by faith we are those descendants that are from Abram. Where do I get this? Galatians 3, 13 and 14. We had it up earlier in the service, but let me read it again. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And this is where it comes in. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So you see here that as God spoke these words to Abram, he was thinking of you and me. All those years ago, as God said, I will make you the father of many nations. There was so much more going on in that little statement. That Abram had probably no idea, or if he did, just the tiniest of ideas. That it would include you and me thousands and thousands of years later. That we could share in the blessings of knowing God Almighty through faith. Think about that for a minute. But lest we think that the best part of being in the covenant with God is all about the benefits that it brings to us. We need to be reminded, as the text reminds us, that the best thing about being in the covenant is having a relationship with God himself. Now, why do I bring that up? Verse 8 says that he will be our God. Again and again, when God gives his covenant promise, he says, I will be their God and they will be my people. It's all about the relationship with God. Yes, he brings the forgiveness of sins. Yes, he brings us peace. Yes, he brings us security. He gives us meaning in our life and purpose. And those are all good things. But the best part of the covenant is that we get to know God. We get to be in relationship with him. Derek Kidner says it this way. Spiritually, the essence of the covenant is personal like the I will of marriage. So the pledge, I will be their God, far outweighs the particular benefits. This is the covenant. This is the covenant. Think about it this way. If I said to Katie, I just want to marry you because of the particular benefits that you're going to bring me. 
right? I don't really want to know you, uh, you know, or get to know you all that well, but I just want to, you know, enjoy the benefits of a relationship with you, right? She would probably be offended, right? To say the least. She would, at least, just a little bit, right? But yet, that's what we do with God oftentimes, right? We want what you give us, God, but we don't want you. And God is saying and reminding us here, no, the main benefit of the covenant is me, that you get to know me. I think it's a good reminder for us as we think about our relationship with the Lord this morning, that God himself is the greatest gift that we could ever get. I know I need that reminder. So we've seen so far that in Christ, the blessing of Abraham, the covenant, comes to us comes to people like you and me, but next we want to focus on the nature of the covenant sign. The nature of the covenant sign. So as we progress through the life of Abraham in the scriptures, and even before that with Noah and with Adam, we keep using the word and the concept covenant. And I want to stop for a moment and just kind of expand a little bit on what that means and why it's important. See, covenants are super important throughout all of scripture and really essential for helping us to understand the Bible as a whole, right? We don't use that word a lot of times, covenants, right? We don't say, I'm going to make a covenant with you, right? We usually say something like, I'm going to make a promise with you, right? Or I'm going to make an agreement between me and you. But in the Bible, covenant is used a lot. And these are a special relationship of promise between two parties, okay? between two parties in the Bible. In the Bible, it's God and his people, right? God is the one that is initiating the covenant, yet we're not coming to the table saying, okay, God, I'm going to make the promise or I'm going to make the agreement. God is the one that steps forward and initiates this covenant promise with his people. And it's grounded on his character, right? And we can take that to the bank. We know it's sure because it's God. God's making the covenant, right? He's making the covenant based on his character and his goodness. Throughout the Bible, we see different covenants like the one with Adam, Noah, and now Abraham. Later on, you see a covenant that God makes with David. And then finally, the new covenant with Christ. See, covenants are all over the scriptures. And as these covenants uh, uh, develop throughout the scriptures, they are really all related into uh, one covenant. But they're really important for us to understand. And so as we, we understand this, let's look at verses 9 through 14 so we can better understand the relationship of the covenant with its sign. So what's the point of a sign? Anybody? Point you to something, right? The point of a sign is to point you to something. We see signs every day. We see stop signs. We see, that's right, right there, stop sign. We see street signs. We see uh, all kinds of signs that point to different things. They, the, sign, the point of a sign is not to point to itself, but point to the deeper reality, the deeper thing, right? So let's think about it this way. You're driving down the expressway, Atlantic City Expressway, and you see a sign for McDonald's with a Big Mac on it, right? The point and purpose is not to say, wow, that's a great picture of a Big Mac. The point is to go to McDonald's and to what? Buy a Big Mac. The sign is pointing you to a greater reality, right? The sign is saying, look, it's not about me and, and the vinyl and the fabric and the, the pole. It's about the Big Mac. Go and buy a Big Mac. 
right? That's the purpose of a sign. The Bible is full of signs. Signs all over the place, right? Signs are visible. You can see them. Signs are, are tangible, touchable, right? They point to a deeper reality than themselves. They're a reminder. They're a distinguishing mark that separates one group of people from another. Signs are very important throughout the Bible. Here in verse 11, circumcision is given as a sign of God's covenant that he made with Abram. It's to be a sign between God and his people here given to every male eight days old and up. This physical sign is a physical mark on their body that shows that they and their family are in a special relationship with God. So if they have this sign, it says, look, it's pointing to a deeper reality of a relationship between me and God Almighty and my family. That was the purpose of the sign. Let me give you an example of a sign that will hopefully help us to better understand their point and their purpose. I know I'm going back again, probably, I don't know the, the year of the movie, probably back to 1995, but anybody uh, seen the Disney version of uh, Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn? Anybody? No? Tom Sawyer, JTT, you know, remember? Okay, this is going to fall flat. <laughs> All right, so, but you know the story of Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, okay? At one point, Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn uh, see something happen, right? They see a, a murder happen with uh, Injun Joe and, and different things like that, right? And they have to keep a secret. But now that they're trying to keep this secret, they want to make sure that each other is going to keep the secret. And how do they make sure that they're going to keep this secret? Well, they decide to have the ceremony of blood brothers. All right. Have you guys ever heard of Blood Brothers? Okay. So where they, they cut their fingers, right? And I'm sure it's like terribly like unsanitary, right? Um, and like, you know, every mother would probably just cringe at the idea. Of it. But where they cut their fingers, right? And they bleed a little bit and then like push it together or something like that. And now they're Blood Brothers, right? And this sign of being Blood Brothers is to a deeper reality of saying we are going to keep what we saw secret and no one is going to know. We have a special relationship based on a special secret, and we have a sign to prove it. See, the sign points to something that is deeper. So when God makes a covenant with his people, specifically the Abrahamic covenant, he gives them a sign, and that sign is circumcision. Now, we don't have the sign of circumcision anymore. The sign of circumcision gave way to what in the New Testament? Does anybody know? Baptism, right? And so... Clearly, uh, we don't practice circumcision anymore as, as a uh, sign of the covenant. But now we have baptism. It's a visible picture of whose team we are on, like a sports jersey, right? We put our favorite team jersey on and we say, I'm a Giants fan, or I'm a Mets fan, or I'm a or I'm a, no, I won't go to Phillies, yeah, Eagles fan, right? And uh, where we put our jersey on, we say, this is our team, right? And in that way, baptism is very similar, right? It's saying, I'm on Team Jesus, right? I'm, I'm a part of this covenant people. It's a picture of the reality of our dying to sin and our being raised to new life in Christ alone and through faith alone. And this sign is given to, we believe, believers and their children. 
Very similar to Abram's dead. But there's something curious about this, or something important for us to understand. This sign is not optional. It's not something that we can kind of say, ah, if I want to, I'll get this sign, or if I don't want to, I won't get this sign. Because the covenant also has certain demands. What do I mean by that? The covenant has demands. That's one more thing I want us to look at. See, we've said again and again that you don't get into the covenant relationship or the covenant of grace based on your works. That's not how it works, right? We enter that covenant relationship by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. You'll hear us say that till we're blue in the face. And Lord willing, until we are dead and in our grave. But once that is established, we must also say that once we are in that covenant, God helps us to follow him and meet those demands. In other words, now that you're in the covenant of grace, live like it. Now that you're in the covenant of grace, by grace, alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, live like it, right? It's not the way you get into the covenant, but it's the way that, that covenant relationship works when you are in that covenant with God. See, it's with this gospel's perspective that we can understand the demands of the covenant that God gives with Abraham here in Genesis 17 and really elsewhere. That's how we understand verse 1 that says, walk before me and be blameless. That's how we understand verse 9, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you. Right? So that's the only way that we can keep these covenant demands. Here in Genesis 17, the receiving of the covenant sign is the main demand of the covenant, right? So he's saying, we had this special relationship, we got to show this special relationship to the world and to each other by this sign. It was important to God. To reject the sign was to be a covenant breaker. To reject the sign really was to reject God who made the covenant with you. You see how important this is. It's not something that was optional. God said, no, we're in a special relationship. This is something that is mandatory. Verse 14, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. It's serious to God. That sign is a part of our obedience to the Lord. That's, that sign is a part of walking by faith. So a legitimate question for us is, is, have we received the sign of the covenant? Have we received the sign of baptism? Right? We don't practice circumcision anymore as a sign of the Abrahamic covenant. We practice baptism. Have we received that sign? If not, why? Do we see it as something that is unimportant or optional? Or do we see it the way that God views it? You know, I was thinking about just the, the relationship between the sign and the covenant and, and how important the sign is to God. And I thought about this. If we, you know, how, well, let me explain it this way. Not receiving the sign would be like a husband that doesn't wear his wedding band when he goes to his high school reunion. You have to ask the question, why would he not want to wear his wedding band? Is he wanting to show that uh, he's maybe still on the market? Is he wanting to kind of 
maybe stir up some uh, old, old flings that he had in high school. Why is he not wearing the sign of his relationship? Is it that he's not proud of his wife and his family and what God's done? Rejecting the sign of the marriage covenant is like rejecting the spouse. You don't wear the ring, it's like rejecting the spouse. Now, the only difference between this example is that baptism is something that God tells us we have to do. Wearing a ring is not, okay? Um, so wearing a ring is something that is, is optional, but you get the picture there, right? If I take off my ring for the purpose of, uh, of, of um, saying that I, I don't want to identify with my wife, and there's a problem there. I reject the sign. I reject my wife. Same thing. If I reject the sign of baptism, I reject God in a way. And that's really important for us to see. But by God's grace and his help, we can walk before him in holiness and in blamelessness. We can receive that sign of baptism. And we can walk by faith and not by sight. You know, as Christians, we believe that God's word is living and active and always relevant. See, Abram may have, have died and, and gone off to glory, but that doesn't mean that God's covenant with him and his offspring doesn't carry on to today. Remember we said in the beginning that in Christ alone, the blessing of Abraham comes to people like you and me. This everlasting covenant reaches throughout the bounds of time to reach people like us. And it has. And praise God that because of this promise to an old man many years ago, our lives could be totally transformed. We could be forgiven of our sin. We could be given a second chance at life because of the promise that God made to an old man and an old woman so many years ago. Our lives could be lived in relationship with God Almighty. We get to know the Almighty God and be in a friendship with Him to call Him our Father and friend. All because of what God did so many years ago. So let's think about this as we go into our weeks and as we go into our, our, our work and our families and all the chaos and the craziness of life. That God has called us each into a covenant with him. And we receive that by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone. But as we do, he calls us to follow him by faith. And part of that following is receiving that sign that he has given us. That's not optional, but it's a sign that we joyfully proclaim to the world whose we are and who we belong to. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Uh, Genesis 17 is, is so rich, Lord, and so much that we didn't get to, um, to, to look at in depth. But Lord, we just pray that those things that we did, that you would write them on our hearts and on our minds. God, we pray that you would help us to um, not just praise you for the things that you bring us, the gifts that you give us, Lord, but that we would uh, desire more and more you and you alone. God, I pray that you would transform us. God, show us where we are not uh, following your covenant. And Lord, that where we can, by grace, uh, continue to follow you more wholeheartedly, Lord. Give us grace, Lord, and protection as we go about the rest of our week. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Would you guys stand for our final? Oh, sorry. Final. Sorry. Huh? sorry. <laughs> I don't usually preach on. Uh, yeah, reason.